You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and today I'm here with Tom to talk about the Pacific Northwest LX Summit that our team put on a few weeks ago. Tom, I was super bummed to miss the summit, so I'm really excited to hear more from you about it today. Yeah, it was a great day. We co-hosted a summit at SAMI, the Science and Math Institute in Tacoma. It's a great school that is on the grounds of the Point Defiant Zoo. It's part of a three-school network in Tacoma, founded by John Kettler. It also includes SOTA, the uh, School of the Arts, and IDEA, an industrial design school. Uh, These three small schools um, feature student-centered learning and and community-connected challenges. Um, We've toured and written about all three, and uh, we were were fortunate to co-host a learner experience summit at the zoo. We explored uh, what powerful learning experiences uh, for kids look like and how you create them and uh, why they're important. We started the day with a tour of the zoo, and uh, we got up close with a, a big Bengal tiger. Uh, it was an exciting opportunity to see student tour guides um, in action, a really great example of place-based learning, of leveraging community assets. Throughout the day with uh, Puget Sound educators, we explored uh, what good learning design looks like And in this podcast, you'll hear from a a variety of veteran educators describing uh, what powerful learning experiences uh, mean for kids and for teachers. Sounds like an awesome day, Tom. Don't worry if you don't have a pen. We'll be sure to link all of the schools in the show notes and on the blog. Now let's get to it. Time to listen in. Rebecca Kim, what uh, when you think of powerful learning experiences, what do they include? Authentic, real-life experiences that provide students with more than the traditional classroom learning and learning by engaging with others that are equally engaged. We're walking and talking at the zoo. It seems like a cool place to reimagine how learning could work. Absolutely. I think it's really important that you have strong system leadership that sponsors the work so that people have the permission and the space to be innovative and creative in a way that we don't see, especially across the Pacific Northwest. Thanks, Rebecca. All right, Juliana Finnegan, when you think about powerful learning experiences, uh, what do you think about Um, I think that you have to model the best practices that you hope to see in our classrooms with our educators so that we're also respecting them as learners and identifying their gaps and needs and allowing them access to the content and support they need when they need it, just like we hope that students get so that they're not getting a one-size-fits-all approach, but that we're really helping to support innovative change both from the student and teacher level. It's a novel thought. If we want powerful, personalized learning for kids, then we need to start with teachers. Absolutely, because they are learners as well, and for them to grow and change the way that they approach their students and their instruction, we need to also give them the tools to do that. Thanks, Juliana. Uh, Woody, when you think about powerful learning experiences, what comes to mind? I think one of the important things is that it's got to be student-led or learner-led. It's got to be about what they're excited about. 
um, you're not going to be able to convince them to learn anything that they're not uh, passionate about. So opening it up to make it as flexible as possible for the students to come in and figure out a problem and really get deep into that problem and what it means to them and their community uh, so they can see how their their action, what they're doing, their research, their work, all that stuff contributes back to a larger picture, I think is crucial for it. And they can they can see that they're making a difference. And anytime you can connect that stuff in, I think you're getting good deep learning. And, and you can see that happening because at the end of the project or at the end of the day or whatever, they they go off and they continue looking at this and working on it on their own time. What do you started a really cool makerspace at One Stone called the Foundry? What what do you think was the key to making that such a, a magical place? I think there were a, f- a few different things. One of the big ones is that we, we moved into the foundry after the school year started. The, uh, the space was, was there, but we couldn't move into it yet. When we got in partway through the year, uh, I didn't have time to go through and get all the tools set up. So instead, we brought the students in and said, look, you guys are doing this. You set up the tools and take the 70-page user guide and condense it down to a page and a half and teach each other how to use it. I'll be here to help answer your questions, but this is your space. You set it up and make it work. And I think when they did that, they had this buy-in. They had this ownership of the space. And I might have been in charge of running the space, but it quickly became their space. And, And they took care of it and they used it and they were learning more about it because of that. Well, now you're working in the Renton School District near Seattle. And what, what kind of a conversation are you having about uh, making and makerspaces in Renton? So we're doing a bunch of different things there. One of them is that we're, we're moving towards um, looking at robotics, not as a, uh, an, a big expensive platform that a couple of people can work on. But we're trying to reduce the cost and get the cost per robot down to about 20 or $30 a piece. So now we can use it as, as a tool, as just another pencil. And you don't, you don't um, glorify the robot in any way. It's just, it's just a tool for getting some learning done. And so we're doing that. We're also looking at taking um, all the different shop classes that we have around our high schools and opening them up when they're not in use to turn them into a makerspace once a month so we can get the public in. And when you get that public in, working with the students, you get this intergenerational thing, working on projects, and the possibilities there are, are pretty phenomenal. That's exciting. Thanks, Woody. Thank you. Next, we'll hear from Tom as he talks to Julie Kinzer. Julie develops and supports instructional coaches in Tacoma Public Schools, and we'll share more about her story. Julie Kinzer, we worked together like um, a long time ago. Years ago. <laughs> It's great to see you again. When you think about powerful learning experiences, what comes to mind? So I think about ownership of learning and um, and really knowing why why you want to pursue something and what you're looking for to increase your own knowledge and to apply back into whatever situation you're in. Um, I think that comes through different ways of giving options. Um, right now I'm working a lot on how to per- build capacity in the room and tap into the, what the knowledge that's there and how you build, build on that and allow different entry points. So people walk away with different, um, experiences and something to take back to their everyday. So Julie, you coach instructional coaches in Tacoma, um, how do you think about designing powerful learning experiences for the coaches? Um, very similar for the coaches. Um, adult learning really is my work right now and thinking a lot about that. And 
building capacity and leadership in the room, tapping into their expertise, thinking about what goals they're supporting back in their buildings so they have some choice and some autonomy in how they learn and what they learn, um, but that it's also tied back to their work and so that they, they're moving the work forward when they go back to their building. Now we'll hear from Jason Lee Middle School Principal Christine Brandt and Instructional Coach Ryan Prosser. Let's get back to it. Christine, you're at um, Jason Lee Middle School. Yeah. We heard lots of good things about it. Thank you. When you think about powerful learning experiences, what comes to mind? How do you design those? So I think the first thing is you have to listen to student and staff. So I think we just were having a conversation with these beautiful young adults that you guys got to be here with us today. Um, their voice is important. And I think that we are at this unique situation in education where we're going to allow student to have a voice in the education. That's going to change things a lot moving forward in regards to how kids learn and then how teachers are going to teach and support. So to me, that that's the biggest thing that I'm starting to see about. When you allow a kid to say, here's, I know the standards, like we can never get away from the standard, but you got to meet these standards, but how you get there is up to you and how you develop it. Changes you talk, everything. it changes everything. And they have ownership, responsibility, pridefulness, passion, like all those things that yeah. motivate us as adults. And those might be the most important outcomes. Correct. And then that motivates you to then change the world however you feel needs to be changed. Yeah. Right. So it's pretty, pretty powerful. Christine. Ryan Prosser, when you think about powerful learning experiences, um, what, what do you think about? I think um, you have to consider first the learner in that experience. So, in, in my line of work, the students um, and what, what they're passionate about, what they care about, and then how that space can be used to um, help augment that learning. Uh, the issue is then if we, if we look at the teachers, um, in the work that I've done in the past around this, there's often um, teachers are resistant to change and changing their space and thinking about um, unique um, innovative spaces for students because that's not what they grew up with. That's not what they learned uh, in themselves. So um, creating powerful learning experiences around uh, student passions, teacher passions, um, but then also in ways that are intuitive that can change professional habits and learning habits uh, that then will persist over time. You've, you've talked a little bit about space. I'm wondering how often you get the chance to work with you know team and program and space uh, and really have all the levers available to you? Yeah, so um, I've had different experiences throughout my career. Um, when Tacoma first passed its, its bond about six years ago, I went to, I was working at our curriculum instruction office at the time and actually went to my director of curriculum and said, hey, yesterday we passed this $500 million bond. Can our office have any say in how our schools are designed? At the time I was... Um, our district's uh, 5D framework facilitator and seeing teaching t our teachers about what high quality instruction looks like and then seeing this opportunity for the new spaces we we're designing to reflect the, some of those ideals. And he said, yeah, that's great. Talk to our district's uh, director of planning and construction, which at the time was Steve Murakami. And then so we messaged, we reached out to Steve and he's like, I've never worked with a CNI before. Let's do it. Then we partnered with Michael Farmer, who is our former uh, director of uh, instru uh, instructional technology. And then we, we put together this team, like this plan construction um, team. And we started touring buildings up and down the I-5 corridor, um, trying to get design ideas for 
uh, these schools that were going to be designed. And then we would meet with the teachers at, at Stewart, at Sammy, at Wainwright, at McCarver. Um, and so that was, that's in my, in my past. And then now at Jason Lee, seeing this building that was designed or redesigned about 16 years ago and feeling like, man, we just, we just missed it, right? Like all these innovative designs that are pushing the thinking of teachers and students and it's a great school. And even today I'm talking to my principal about, Hey, like this comfortable seating we in our foyer area, it's empty. Like we need tables and booth seating for our students. We could use that space um, and really create a space for our students who roam and won't go to lunch. And we find them eating lunch in the hallways or throwing their food in the stairwells, have a, have some comfortable seating over here where they could eat lunch and it'd be more supervised. We'd know where they are and it would, right. So just like the small, small things. And then even in my own classroom right now, I have one language arts class that I took on this year. Um, and I was telling my principal actually, so we do springboard curriculum, but we've changed out the, the text that we're, we were supposed to use this quarter, uh, Tangerine, for the serial podcast. And we're actually um, doing comparative lit studies around the characters in the serial podcast and, and how their decisions affected one another. And, and the kids have never been more engaged in my class or the other teachers who have taken that on. That's cool. Yeah. Thanks, Ryan. Yep. Kelly Tanner. Designer, architect extraordinaire. When you think about designing powerful learning spaces, what do you think about? I think um, it all has to stem from a vision. And the vision has to be a balance of um, not only just design goals and how cool the space is going to be, but it's also got to be, a, it's got to have education in mind. So, the, you know, the, the form has to follow the function. And so as you're developing this vision, you have to be, ha you have to have a, develop a, the right mindset to go into how do I balance those? How do I interpret those? But then also how can I have those spaces and that culture develop over time? So when you're creating and say you're creating a new space, not only does it have to work today, but it's got to work next year, five years, 10 years. So, so can you create design goals that support multiple educational goals? Because those will change throughout the years, depending on the school, administration, curriculum, pedagogy. So we're here at the Science and Math Institute in Tacoma. Why don't you describe what you see and uh, what you like about this, this place and this space? First and foremost, I see a lot of transparency, um, and it's not from a supervisory position. It's more from an interplay and a flow of space. So you have a lot of glass, but you have a lot of spaces that open up onto each other. You've got a what could very easily just be a corridor space that gets you from one point to another. It actually is this really strong gathering community type family space for a variety of activities. But then you also see these niches of smaller group um, collaboration, individual study that are just flooded with light. You know, the choice of materials are very well suited with the amount of light that's distributed through the space. But there's also a very... It, it does. It does. It doesn't, you know, you don't come in here and you, you don't say that, you know, this is a certain style 
um, of architecture, which I think people tend to focus on when they talk about spaces more than anything else. It seems like a highly adaptable space. Yeah, a mixture of seating hard and soft, low and, and tall. Exactly. And then, and then there are these punches of color, but in a way that has a level of sophistication, especially for this age of, of students, but also for the communities that use this space as well. The Learner Experience Summit was hosted by the Science and Math Institute on a regular school day. We were excited to be easily incorporated into the life of the school and the students. John Kettler gave us a tour of the building, starting on the lower level in a very unusual preschool, one that gives every preschool learner in Tacoma a week at the zoo and in the woods. John Kettler, we're in the basement of the Environmental Learning Center. This is a preschool, but an unusual preschool. Who goes to school here? So this preschool has been designed and set up so that we're rotating all of the preschools through Tacoma schools. So over the course of this year, I think we'll have, what, Tanya, probably 1,000 or 500 students, something. Yeah, Maybe it's, it's about like 30 classrooms with about tw uh, 15 to 20 kids per classroom. So That's awesome. Tanya, introduce yeah. yourself. Hi, Tanya Ombi, coordinator of the Early Learning Center for Sammy. So how many different preschools um, come and visit you? Um, so all the different ones from Tacoma Public Schools. So there's Title I, Head Start, ECAP, um, Deaf and Signing, um, Extended Day Autism, Peer Inclusion, Special Ed. Um, I might be forgetting one or two, um, but they so all they come, come through. for a couple hours a day. For right, for four five, days. Four days. Monday through what, Thursday. And what do they do while they're here? So they come in and the high schoolers have um, prepared for them activities and they introduce a theme for the day, such as looking at whether animals have fur or feathers. And then we go out to a different area of the zoo. Um, and next year we'll include um, out into the woods now that we have a nice path. So, yeah. What an awesome. awesome program. It is awesome, and the high schoolers really get to connect with the preschoolers, and we've been able to see lots of different classrooms and learn a lot of um, how to connect with students and how to connect with um, preschoolers, so it's been good. There's this global movement for um, forest uh, preschools, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're usually limited to 15 kids, so it's so cool that uh, you get to introduce really all the all the kids from Tacoma to the zoo. Right, so one of the big pushes is equity, being able to make sure that all kids in Tacoma have access to the zoo and the woods and that they get to make those connections, so yeah. John, we're looking at a uh, makerspace now. What, what class is in here? So these will, uh, we'll have physics classes in here, you know, multitude of our science classes, and then some of the things that they've been working on is they've been designing implements for the animals actually to like exercise or to play with and so they're doing that so say for the for the monkeys or whatever they're then observing watching them then coming back and then working with the zoologists to design things or the zoo staff that then are being made and then they're using in, with those animals that's great what um we, we also just walked through a beautiful uh, teacher lounge that is shared space with the zoo. What what kind of collaboration is there between the the Sammy staff and the zoo staff? So it's set up so that the education staff for the zoo they have all of their offices in there. We have our collaboration office space for our instructors that they're working, and so you're creating this natural you know, just conversations that are happening. They eat lunch together, they spend time together, so that the kind of projects when you're talking about building things for the animals or creating anything that to, you know, strengthen what's happening at the zoo, those are just things that are naturally happening. So the 
There's a grand staircase that connects the lower floor to the upper floor. It's kind of a, a mini theater. We, we already saw it this morning. It's kind of a hangout space, but uh, what else do you use it for? So oftentimes there'll be classes that are taught here. We have a large uh, screens at the bottom of the staircase here so we can project and show images. And, you know, sometimes kids will perform concerts, you know, it could be all just kind of a whole myriad of different things depending on what's going on. So it's a real flexible space. And uh, as we were noting earlier, the, the building really turned out even better than uh, a lot of us had, had hoped that you showed us sketches last year that were really exciting but uh, it, it's really how, how would you describe the uh, space upstairs well i think i mean it's just it it has a real open feeling to it you know with a lot of light and you you feel a connection to the forest as well as to the zoo because you can see right through the building and kind of see those different things you have a real sense of place and where you are so also feels like a shop there's a lot of plywood a lot of concrete right so it's intentional that concrete floors plywood on the walls so that really built like a space where you come to work you don't just come to be told a big thanks to everyone who attended our first ever pacific northwest lx summit and we couldn't possibly end without thanking the team at tacoma public schools for hosting and to the albertsons foundation for sponsoring the day if you want to learn more about hosting one of these workshops at your school, send an email to Adam Kulas, our Director of Learning Design. You can reach him at adam at gettingsmart.com. And again, don't worry if you don't have a pen nearby, we'll have it linked in the show notes and on the blog. Lastly, if you haven't already, head on over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And for more on all things design thinking, learner experience, and innovations in learning, check out our blog at gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off. <laughs>